Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This is the Drivers Meeting Podcast, hosted by RJ Starcevic and driver and team owner in the NASCAR Xfinity Series, Tommy Joe Martins. And welcome back to the Drivers Meeting Podcast, presented by So, wow, this weekend was eventful at Atlanta. Uh, well, some people would say it was uneventful, and that's that's the topic of discussion uh, that we will have uh, on this episode. We got, if you're looking for eventful, uh, this weekend is going to be nuts with the Bristol Dirt Races uh, for trucks in the Cup Series. But let's first, let's start uh, with this weekend at Atlanta, and uh, we'll start with, obviously, the Xfinity Race. Um I personally think it was the best race of the weekend. Uh, I was there for all three. I got to see the action all around the track. And as an overview, I thought the Xfinity race exceeded both the other races as far as just the action that was going on and uh, the fight to the end as well. And just the, I mean, there was obviously a fight after the race, Um, but uh, for you, I mean, you guys started off, you guys rolled off, you know, pretty well. You're bouncing back and forth. You did some strategy calls in the middle of the race that got you up at the front at some of the restarts. And then I know um, and in your post-race review for the team and for you, you guys said maybe just missed a few adjustments at the end and, and fell back a few spots and maybe you would have wanted to be. So kind of take us take us through uh, your, your journey at, at Atlanta this weekend. Yeah, Atlanta was uh, a ton of fun to drive on. I think if you asked all the drivers, they would have said that. Um, and so that's when we start talking about the overall thing here, and uh, not just the Martins Motorsports aspect of this. And uh, we're really talking about the difference between <laughs> what, what drivers are thinking it puts on good racing and what fans are thinking puts on good racing. Uh, I think Atlanta's an awesome racetrack. And you had options. You could run the top. You could run the bottom. It seemed like over in three and four, it was pretty bottom lane dominant. Uh, we never really saw a lot of guys going up there in, uh, in three and four. But uh, for our race, just pretty conservative at the beginning, like we generally are. Uh, got some great track position through some strategy and, and an awesome job by the pit crew. And ran in the top 15 for most of the second segment because of that. Uh, we were able to hold our track position pretty well. We had enough speed in a car to, to hold on to that track position. And uh, really towards the end of the race, probably needed one more adjustment uh, to really, really kind of finish it off. We probably were just too loose there at the end of the race to, to really be able to hold anybody off. And, and Atlanta is a place where you expect to be lacking for grip, but it was probably a little too much <laughs> there yeah. at the end. And, and some really good drivers got around me. And so that's how I look at it uh, with, Santino Ferrucci and uh, Landon Castle and, and Josh Williams and Alex LeBay. Those are pretty good guys to get passed by at the end of the race. And, and when you don't have your car handling good and, and you get out of the, the car and you talk to them and they go, man, we, that was the best we were all day. It's like, well, okay, that's probably why <laughs> I beat you for 90% of the race, but, but not that final 10%. So that's a little tough to, to swallow. But overall, I feel like Atlanta put on a really good show, I think, with our race, because I know that it had a good mix of Oh, that action, there were some cautions, uh, obviously the post-race stuff that, that went on down there on pit road and, and the tempers flaring and, and the drama there. Uh, I think overall, we the Xfinity series to me continually proves that kind of a lower downforce 
more high horsepower package on a worn out racetrack that that puts on a good show. Yeah, I know the beginning of the race, maybe viewers um, could have gotten drawn away just because Martin Truex Jr. was dominating. I mean, he flew to the front and flew away with the race lead. But that's another thing that where we talk about broadcasting so much and how is the TV how much is the TV actually showing? And I haven't rewatched the broadcast, so I don't know how much they were showing. But I know a lot of people were saying it was really just showing, you know, Martin Tricks Jr. Some guys running up in the top five. But being at the racetrack, there were a lot of battles going on. And I know I sent you a message about you and Santino Ferrucci just really stood out to me. I mean, you guys had a battle for at least a few laps. I mean, that, that was a lot of fun to watch um, and just everywhere. So that's another thing that we kind of really focus on uh, is the broadcasting aspect of it. And I know I post I posted something on Twitter this week um, of the Cup Series race. There was not much going on in the Cup Series race. From a guy in the stands, it was single file everywhere. It was very hard to find a paddle on the racetrack. And I'm looking all over for something to just you know record. And I see the 51 and the 15. I see James Davidson, Cody Ware having a little paddle. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to whip my camera out for this. So I recorded it and I ended up posting it that night and it's already up to like almost 20,000 views. It's been, you know, blowing up all over the place and, and people are really talking about that saying, oh, the broadcast should show more of this. And I mean, I imagine we've talked so much about this. I mean, do you think there's really more that, you know, the TV networks can do to make a track like Atlanta more appealing all throughout the field? Look, short answer is yes, right? And, and this is something we've talked about on the pod before. I think the true answer is a little more complicated. So I think if you're in the broadcast hub, they're coming into the race with some storylines that they kind of have in mind. And one of those storylines was clearly Martin Truex Jr. in my series running a running Xfinity race, which, which he hasn't done in so long. We're talking about a guy that has, has been a winner in the series. Was he a champion in the series? I want to say that he was. Uh, so. But basically, you're, it's a it's a guy coming back and running when he hasn't done that in a long time, and then jumps out there is leading. I don't mind them talking about Martin Truex because it is a little bit of a yeah. unique thing, right? It's not like he's done this in a really long time, and I get that that's part of the story. Uh, but with that being said, yes, can we show more battles? Absolutely, throughout the field. 100%. One of the things that I've really spoken to over the last several years is the idea that like we as NASCAR and the media and NASCAR marketing needs to do a better job of promoting all drivers better, uh, legitimizing all drivers to where, you know, when you do have a driver that is frustrated with lap traffic or decisions that other drivers are making or whatever it is, it seems so flippant and like very dismissive of the talent in the middle to the back part of the field. And I can just tell you, that's absolutely not true. Like that's just not true. Like you think the middle part of the field, this in the Xfinity series is very deep um, in the truck series. You just have a lot more young drivers, right? But it's seen that way. So it's kind of seen in a different light. And in the cup series, even the guys that are running at the back of the field, like BJ McLeod or, or Garrett, I mean, Garrett ran an Xfinity for like five years. So there is a perception problem here. And I think part of that is because these drivers are just so rarely seen doing the things that the drivers at the front of the field are doing, right? So I got into a war of words one time with Brett Griffin on Twitter, where I basically said, we're doing the same thing running for 20th that you guys are doing for the lead. 
And, and immediately I got laughed out of the room. Like that was just a ridiculous thing to say. Yeah. But if you are at the racetrack and you're watching this week to week, I'm passing people, they're passing me. We're going high, we're going low, we're, we're changing grooves. It's just that when you see that stuff on TV, it's generally with the guys at the front of the field. Yeah. We all kind of know how the tracks are. We're just racing for a different position on the racetrack. And so I think that that layer of if we did show a few more of these battles, we're doing two things, right? Yeah, we're showing more action. I think that just naturally is more fun, right? Especially because some of those things are getting heated, right? Where guys are swapping paint. What's going on back here? Oh, we got a little rivalry brewing. Okay, cool. And then the follow-up is also you're legitimizing the drivers as actually being skilled, right? Here are two guys or a guy and a girl racing each other really hard in the middle part of the field, like nobody's laying down, right? Like everybody's going for it. And I think it legitimizes the driver. It legitimizes the race. It, it, it kind of legitimizes the experience for all the fans that are watching at home. Yeah. And, and we talk about this broadcast partner and I, I know we've noted, noted on Adam Alexander and how he does a pretty good job at getting the stories out. I know you've been on, you know, the national TV broadcast a lot. And so have a lot of people. And he does a great job at telling the stories as well. And I, I think the Xfinity series, it's it's just great. I mean, we talked about, I, you had just noted on how people were roughing fenders up. And, you know, I mean, I looked at the 26 car and the whole right side was gone, like paint. It, I mean, like halfway yeah. through the race. I was like, holy he was, cow. He was pretty, he was pretty active uh, throughout the race. <laughs> people were, people were doing bump and runs in three and four. Cause I'm sitting right there at the beginning of the trial and I'm seeing a single file line. I'm like, someone's getting the boot here. And there were people bumping each other out of the way. I know Hemrick got yeah. the boot once. Gregson gave three people to boot three laps in a row. I watched him do it to, I think, I think he did it to Hemrick. Then it was Herps. Then it was someone else after that. I'm like, this nine car is coming through the field. And he was obviously a topic of discussion for the week. But, um, you know, I, I think just the Xfinity series, it, it's a great series, puts on a great show. And you got guys out there, you know, rough and fenders. And, you know, you talked about, you talked about the package, uh, you know, and that they run compared to the cup series. And I think compared to the cup series package, you know, do you feel like, you know, the cup series package, the way it is now doesn't really comply with what Atlanta is, you know, special for like, you know, that we look forward to Atlanta for. I, I think that is a conflict, right? When we talk about the package they're running at these mile and a half, being a high downforce, low horsepower package, well, you got a worn out racetrack. So it kind of negates some of that when you're going to basically just have more downforce through the corners. Like I think the Xfinity series put on a better show. We had less downforce. There was more tire wear. There was more fall off. And because of that, you saw real comers and goers big time. Now, look, I say this. At the end of the Cup Series race, Kyle Larson got passed at the end of the race because he was falling off on a long run. So this happens. It just it certainly isn't happening on shorter runs. And also, here's another part of this: tires. The the Cup Series had 13 or 14, I can't remember, sets of tires yeah, for this race. 13 this to weekend. me, that's that's too many sets. Yeah. Uh, so in our race, a 250 mile race, we had five sets. So if you just want to project that out, that would be 10. So giving them those extra three sets. Look, was, was anybody really at a tire crunch 
there in that race? No. Mm, not really. So that that's not good. I think stock car racing is better when you're having to make these big calls of, is it time? Is it not time? There needs to be some pressure on these crew chiefs. And I think that leads to more fall off, right? You have to extend the tire where maybe that would help. So I think that's probably something they could think about doing. Yeah. And one, one thing that's also a hot topic, and we talked about after Daytona, because you were a victim of the splitter grass uh, conflict <laughs> at Daytona. And Josh Barry, oh my goodness, I was, let me tell you, I was right there, right in that spot. And I'm watching him spin off the corner. I'm like, oh, what a, what a, what a great save, you know, Josh Barry. Hopefully he keeps this going. And oh my, wow, he killed the grass. Car goes flying, day's over. And I mean, that has been, that has been a hot topic of discussion. What, what do we do about the splitters and the high grass and all that stuff? You were a victim of it at Daytona. Do we put in turf? I mean, there's so many different things that we've been talking about this weekend. I mean, I mean, you, you gave your thoughts a few weeks ago. You want to follow up on that? Yeah. So we talked about turf and, and that's why, look, if you want to get everybody stirred up on Twitter, say anything about a car hitting the grass and you're about to get about a hundred replies <laughs> from people telling you they need to get rid of the splitter. They need to pave all the tracks. Uh, but let, let me just go ahead and just set the record straight for everybody. We're not getting rid of the splitter. That's not happening. So anybody that's saying that that should happen, we haven't done years worth of engineering on this and every team in NASCAR invested in it and all that it's not happening. Like we don't, we don't want that. We're not saying that. All right. In our series, we're, we're not doing it. So we're all just kind of adapting. But what I would say is that the tracks should adapt to what we're doing. Right. So the grass thing was fine when there were no splitters and when we had much higher ride height and ridiculous springs and you saw the cars moving up and down. Now we're basically slammed down on the ground, sealed off everywhere we go now. Yeah. And we want a splitter that works as essentially like a shovel. So it's just not going to work. Like we have to either pave this stuff, which I'm fine with. And they go, oh, well, that ruins the aesthetic. Okay, fine. <laughs> That's cool. Just put turf in it. Charlotte yeah. Speedway has done this. And we've had no problems with it. So as far as I'm concerned, that's the move here. Obviously, we're talking about something that's really costly for the racetracks, but it's also really costly to our teams to not only tear up a car, but also be out of a race and lose out on the points with something that could have been pretty avoidable. And I've also heard this. Here's like the hot take by random internet guy on Twitter. Well, there should be a penalty for going to the grass. Yeah. You know what the penalty should be? You spun out and you're going to have to go to the back of the line and you're going to have to burn a set of tires and you're going to be at the back of the field. It shouldn't be getting the clip knocked off my car because I because something bad happened to me. Maybe I went through the grass to avoid a wreck and now I get in a bigger one. Yeah. <laughs> so this idea that there's a penalty for going in the grass, that's a bunch of people that are saying that that have like never actually been in a race shop on a Monday <laughs> when a car comes back with the old front end or back end knocked off of this thing because you just went through the grass. And it seems like such a severe penalty for what could be very avoidable. And, and so, yeah, I hope they look into this. Obviously, you know, on, on a road course, that's a whole other thing, right? Now, I mean, I can put that on the wish list, but I don't see Sonoma getting rid of the grass anytime soon. You know what I mean? Like, and we also know that on a road course, it's kind of a different set of rules. But on these ovals, there's really not much grass anyway. 
we've seen Martinsville now take out the little bit of grass. The one track that really didn't affect us very much, they took the grass out. Yeah. But, but really what I think Martinsville is doing there is using that area as we're going to paint it. That's going to be signage. Yeah. Great. And, and all the fans can complain and go, oh, well, that, that ruins the aesthetic. Look, we, we've got logos all over everything that we have on a race car, race suit, hat. We are covered. We, we are the most logo-friendly sport in the history of the earth. I'm fine with the racetracks implementing logos wherever they want to. The restart zone. Cool. Basically came up with an idea, slapped a logo on it. Great. Like, I'm fine with it. The Choose Cone. Pick a sponsor for that. Great. I don't care. You want to put signage in the corners. Great. I don't care. Like, as long as it's not affecting my ability to drive the race car, yeah. and it's not affecting the racing on the racetrack, then I think that's probably a good idea. So this idea of like putting down more pavement, putting down turf, I'm for it. And we talk about the aesthetic of the track. What are, what are we here to watch? Yeah. <laughs> like we're not, we're not at Augusta national. We're, we're not watching the masters. Okay. We're not here for turf. We're here to see cars go around and get spun out and not have the whole front end knocked off the car. Yeah. And those two instances that were, we would kind of note on Josh Barry at Atlanta and your spin at Daytona. I mean, your spin at Daytona, you basically, yeah, you got turned, you know, it wasn't of your doing. It was just everyone reacting to a crash that happened in front of you. And it's Daytona. You got it, you know, basically saved. And then all of a sudden, bam, it's the grass. Josh Barry gets spun, you know, turn four, he saves it and has really nowhere to go, but the grass that's right in front of him and destroys his race car. So it sucks. You yeah, know? It's interesting you say that RJ, because we're talking about similar incidents where in yeah. both his case and my case, we had both really got the car slowed down quite a bit. Like Josh went into the grass. It's not like he went into it wide open. He had already basically gone through a big slide, got it straightened out, had it on the brakes. He probably hit the grass to 45 miles an hour. And you see just how bad it tore the car up. My wreck was very similar. I probably went into the grass doing 30, 40 miles an hour and basically had to replace the entire front end of our race car. So yeah, very similar. And it's very frustrating because you go, I don't feel like I should be out of this race <laughs> right now, but yet, you know, we're, we're basically loading up. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's unfortunate circumstance, but hopefully they do uh, do something about that. So I wanted to note on the cup race real quick, because it was very shocking what happened at the end. I mean, Kyle Larson, you know, destroyed the field, the entire race. <laughs> Once he got to the front, he didn't look back. You know, he had the fastest car in the short run. But then finally at the end, we got that long, long run. And here comes Ryan Blaney, you know. And now look, Ryan Blaney was faster than him at the end. You know, we don't know when he would have caught them if it was just them two on the track and nobody else. But there was a Penske racing teammate in front of Kyle Larson. It was Joey Logano. We know if there is anybody that knows how to aero block with this package, it is Joey Logano. And that's what he did. Right. You know what? I, I knew I hadn't really thought about it before, but I saw Kyle Larson approaching him and Larson went to pass Logano on the inside entering three and Logano cut him right off. And I was like, oh, Ryan Blaney's going to win this race. I was like, Joey Logano is not going to let him go. And that's what happened. And I, I think, you know, Larson had wore his stuff up and Ryan Blaney had been saving it or just was faster at the end of the run. But obviously, a lot of people were quick to bash on Logano for what happened. And I mean, if you were. I mean, if you're looking at that, you got Logano, teammate to Blaney. If the spotter says, hey, you know, if you give Larson a tough time here, Ryan Blaney will probably have a good shot at winning this race. Do you do it? Look, I just think Joey Logano races hard like that every lap. Yeah. And that's why a lot of guys don't like him out there in the Cup Series. And you know what? He's a champion in the Cup Series. So 
I just give guys the benefit of the doubt there. And I'm not going to go conspiracy theorist here. It's just, to me, that's Joey Logano, a really proud, aggressive race car driver trying to not get lapped. Here comes a leader. Don't get lapped. I mean, that's, (laughs) please, that's, that's it. He's defending, he's defending getting lapped. And and you know what? Everybody can get really pissed and say lap cars get out of the way and all this. There's a double standard, right? So like I could be running in the same position that Joey Logano was running in that race, which was, Around the, I think he was in the twenty low twenties. He was the high teens. He was like he was fifteenth at that time. Okay, fifteenth. Okay, so he's fifteenth, right? So if I was running fifteenth in a race and the leader caught me, it would be like, look at this dumbass, get him out of the way. Yeah. But when Joey Logano does that, it's oh man, Joey Logano is racing hard for his position. He's earned that, right? Like he's yeah. earned it. I just wish that everybody saw that the same, no matter how it's looking. Like to me, it's just you know what, you're racing, man. You caught me. Get around me. Yeah. Like I, I'm not going to just lay over here and, and I don't have to. And the thing is like where the leader caught him at Atlanta, even in our cars, it was a huge arrow disadvantage in turn three and four. Yeah. Like that was the turn. Everybody was fighting for the bottom, the middle, the top didn't come in turns one and two. You can go bottom or top. So even if somebody took a lane, you just go the other place. If you were faster, you could probably get around. All right. Three and four. If you took away the bottom, that was really tough. And so I caught guys, I caught lap traffic when I was in the middle of battles and wound up having to go to the middle groove at three and four and probably legitimately lost five, six, seven tenths in a corner to the guys that I was racing around. I mean, it was a visible six, seven car length difference that I lost uh, to other guys that I'd been battling. They caught them in turn one. I caught them in turn three and that was it. And, and seeing how that played out there, it was kind of some of the same stuff. It, it was just bad timing of where he caught him. Joey wasn't going to give it to him. I don't blame him. And then you do that a couple of times, and now here we are. And, and it was yeah. clearly Blaney had more speed at the end of a long run. All of this kind of balled up. I mean, I'm not seeing this as a, as a big thing. I think it was a product of a car that has way more arrow than what we have. And when you start talking about moving the air and blocking somebody and taking that away, so if it was bad for us, it had to be miserably bad uh, for them and seeing how that affected them. And you see the other car in clean air running to catch them and, and run them down. It just kind of multiplies that. And and last year's fall race at Kansas, while it was, you know, dumb to most viewers, how the air was working. And, you know, when Logano was defending Harvick, it, you know, sometimes in some cases it was impressive the way Logano was able to just block it because he knows, like, I feel like he knows better than anyone how this package works and how to defend that lead, you know, and what he was doing to Harvick, you know, you'd see Harvick would dive low or high, it would open up and then Logano would cut it off, right? Like get right in front of him. And that's what he did to Larson a few times, which was smart on his part. He knows how to block it. And it's not like he was aggressively, you know, it's not like you're blocking bumper to bumper, um, you know, it's, it's really just air. He was just running the same lane that Larson was running. And that's just the product of arrow. And it just happens. It would even happen in your series. It just happens a little more in the cup series. So I, you know, I don't think he was in the wrong. It's not like he wrecked him or was door slamming him or brake checking, you know, anything like that. He was just, I mean, yeah, he's just going to try to run the same lane as Larson so he can help out Blaney. And I, I didn't really see anything wrong with it, especially because Ryan Blaney was really, you know, once he got by Larson, he pulled away, you know, he was, he'd seemed like he was much faster at the end of the run. And even Kyle Larson knew that he was burning his stuff up. So 
that was interesting. Uh, we've talked about the Cup Series, the Xfinity Series race. The Truck Series was probably the most uneventful <laughs> race of the weekend. I mean, Kyle Busch won. Uh, so, you know, fans can have their opinions about that anyways. Um, but Kyle Busch wins. Uh, I know. I mean, did, did you get the uh, – well, you were there. You were getting ready for your race. I was going to say, did you get the opportunity to watch it? You were at the track. You guys were getting ready for for ten. Now that was the first truck and Xfinity doubleheader of the year, right? Of the year, yes, yeah. and that's something that we have planned and and NASCAR has worked on. And I think it's good value for the fans. I'll tell you that it does make our life a little tougher. <laughs> we tried to do all that in one day, and it really the people that it makes it the toughest for is the pit crews, yeah. uh, having to do multiple races in a day and. Uh, multiple setups, multiple teardowns of pit boxes, moving stuff around. So they're, they're working really hard for their money uh, on those doubleheader days. And, and my crew, fresh off of doing a truck race, rolled over into my race and just did an absolutely spectacular job. I mean, we gained spots on pit road every time we came down pit road. So I just want a quick, quick shout out here before we say anything else. Not just to my pit crew, but to all of them uh, that are doing those doubleheaders. And, and we start thinking about triple header weekends and all this keep in mind that you got some pit crews that are doing that three times in two days or or whatever that is look that's that's a lot of work man i mean you're basically talking about like a basketball player playing you know back-to-back days it's a lot on your body it's a lot of energy that they're expending down there on pit road a lot of wear and tear dodging race cars coming in and out on pit road and and having to perform each and every stop yeah, it was a great weekend for Martin's Motorsports crew all over the, you know, all over the the country. I mean, I know uh, they they call him a, a lot of people who have Twitter. They call him Bread on Twitter. He went, yeah, Brad Perez, yeah, Charlotte. He was racing at Charlotte Roval with the Mazdas, correct? Yeah, he was, and, and it was kind of like a. Uh, this is my understanding of it. You got to everybody that's listening here. Get ready, personal anecdote time. I don't really know the name of the series. <laughs> it was like a kind of an old timey car series, I think, yeah. where they do some classic cars, but also they let Miatas run with them, and then there's kind of a group within that. Um, Brad is has raced pretty competitive. Yeah, no, it's not. It's like our. It's like, like whatever. I, again, I, I can't remember. The I know name Trans Am was going on, but that might have been something. They different. were. Yeah, and it was kind of a separate thing, right? So, I mean, they had a lot of different classes out there, but but Brad won both of his races, and he, he took a he took a weekend off from the team in Atlanta. <laughs> so we missed our tire guy. We had to we had to use another one of our crew members, Adam Risher, who did a great job with that too. But but Brad was over there getting some hardware, and, and uh, we were following along. Yeah, that was awesome. Awesome to see. So, um, you know, we'll 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 go ahead to another thing that was a uh, very probably the most talked about all week in the Xfinity series with what happened with Noah Gregson and Daniel Hemrick uh their battle and that's obviously not the first time we've seen Gregson you know have something with somebody but it's the first time we've seen Daniel Hemrick really have anything with somebody and that I don't know if you saw the slow motion replay of that that fight I mean the first <laughs> the first uh the swing from from Gregson and Hemrick was like we've I've been saying Daniel Hemrick looks he resembles like a, a James Bond like type figure and i finally got it to come true this weekend but you know in, in all seriousness i think you know it's not the first time we've seen gregson incident in an incident you know there's a lot of people that are are backing him there's a lot of people that are bashing him that whole incident on pit road though is what really was everyone you know was concerned about is what were his intentions what were hemrick's intentions right. of that whole deal and you know, Scott Miller comes out and says that the next day, which I thought was very quick, you know, because 
when they usually do these incidents, they call someone a hauler. And even Bob Pockers would said, oh, we probably won't find out, you know, until later in the week. They come out the next morning. I'm, you know, I'm sitting there eating breakfast and they come out with the ruling already. And I'm like, that was quick. And, and he said that he didn't think, you know, Gregson intended to back up into Hemrick's box. And there were a lot of different things on it. And I know Chris Knight set out, said that the pit box in front of Gregson, which I believe was the 23, I believe it was Blaine Perkins box. He was a lap or a few laps down and lap cars can't pit with them. So, you know, you can use that box if, if you want, you know, sometimes the driver may not know that, you know, was Gregson backing into his box deliberate? I don't know. You know, a lot of people had different thoughts on it, but I, you know, I think when there was a video where Gregson was driving by Hemrick in his box and, and he gave him the bird, you know, so that also um, might've been his intentions. But I, like I, like I said, I was kind of surprised that that ruling came out so quick, you know, whether, you know, I don't really, you know, whether they penalize him or not, I just thought it was very quick. And I thought the explanation was kind of weird. Now, did you feel the same way or was that just me? No, I really didn't. And this is where I'm like, look, I've, I've been uh, criticized by Noah Gregson publicly. Um, oddly here, I'm just going to defend him, which I know probably a lot of people didn't see that coming. But I didn't think what he did was intentional. When I watched the video here, what I see is a guy that drove through his pit box. I'm talking about Daniel Hemrick here. He slid through his pit box and interfered with Gregson getting into his pit box. That's why he got flipped off. No, it was pissed that he basically Hemrick <laughs> screwed up his pit stop. And then, so then, right. So then Noah goes through his box. And I'm just telling you, the first instinct of a driver, when they tell you you're too far, you don't think, oh, well, let me pull further forward and then back up. You're not yeah. doing that. You just immediately throw it in reverse and try to back up. Okay. It's bad. Look, I'm for pit crew safety 100%. I'm not sitting here like trying to throw pit crew guys under the bus. I don't want to get anybody getting run over. I don't think no Raxon is going to try to run over a pit crew guy. Like I, I don't think that's happening either. Uh, but this was a kind of the sliding scale of no Raxon's not going to get the benefit of the doubt ever. And Daniel Hemrick is going to get the benefit of the doubt always because he's hardly ever in a situation like this where it's super controversial. So it was Noah who's been very controversial versus Daniel who is never controversial. And that's what I think spun a lot of this up. Yeah. Um, and obviously if, if Henrik was so pissed off to go over there and, and basically take a shot at him while he's getting interviewed on TV, you know, he was pretty fired up and I get it. Yeah. He felt like, he felt like it was on purpose because he saw him get flipped off and then immediately back up into him. Right. But really in the moment, why was no flipping him off? Well, probably because he, he screwed his pit stop up. He was flipping him off and then he screwed up getting through his box too far and then he backed up. So it was just, <laughs> it was kind of the, the kind of a, a, a perfect storm of errors here. And when I watch it, that's what I see. And all the stuff afterwards, the name calling, the, you know, back talk, the doubling down on it, uh, you know, everything else, the rest of it, look, uh, take me out of that. I mean, I, I don't really need any of that. <laughs> it just, that's just noise. Now, is it good for the fans? Yeah. Cause we're basically turning this into like wrestling and guess where the next place is that we're going, RJ? 
Martinsville. We're going to Martinsville. So <laughs> how do you think that's going to go? Because legitimately, there were six people on pit road that wanted to fight Santino Ferrucci after that race. And I know this. Uh, I was not one of them. I know the guy races really hard. And yeah, did he race me pretty hard? Yeah, that's fine. You know what? That's what we're out here to do, in my opinion. I think we're all out here to just race hard for every position we get. So I'm I'm not like offended by that. But yeah, did he rub some people the wrong way? Yeah, probably. <laughs> he, he probably did. Uh, yeah, I that car was gone. Seat. Right side was yeah. gone. <laughs> yeah, and I had a front row seat for some of it. So like, I look at this and I go, okay, well, you know, Hamrick in the nine. And we got some guys in the mid-pack kind of getting irritated with each other and all this kind of going on. Uh, now we go to Mark. You know, I, Je- Jeb Burton and Jeremy Clements kind of went at it on Twitter where, you know, Jeremy was saying how a lot of us got dumped. And Jeb posted a picture of Jeremy coming down on him on the restart and said basically like, well, what do you mean you got dumped? You came down on me and wrecked my car too. So there was a lot going on in the last 20 laps of that thing. And, and how does this bubble over into Martinsville? I'm just going to try to keep the 44 out of the way of yeah. all this stuff going all around me. I want to be neutral. I want to be Switzerland in the middle of all this stuff going on. Well, the positive thing is you have about two weeks now uh, to kind of chill out, I guess, until Martinsville. Maybe yeah. for all these people that is to true. cool off. Um, that is true. Until that is true. They can sit back. They can enjoy. They can laugh at whatever we're going to see this weekend at Bristol. Um, and then, you know, have another week off and head to Martinsville. Maybe, well, maybe tempers. But RJ, let me just tell that. you, race crews and race drivers never forget. Again, never forget. <laughs> and, as, and as soon as somebody puts a bumper on you at Martinsville Speedway, if you are irritated to that guy, even 10%, when he starts putting a bumper on you, you are immediately ratcheted up to 10 because you're frustrated with your car and you're even more frustrated with him. And that's when this stuff is going to spill over. So, I mean, I expect the Xfinity race at Martinsville, look, all races at Martinsville are going to have some emotion to them. Um, But I think there's a lot going on in the mid pack right now. And at the front of the field in the Xfinity series, it, it probably is shaping up to be the most, uh, (laughs) most entertaining one of the weekend. If you like watching a demo derby. Yep. Yeah, you feel like it's going to be one of those things, you know, if people really have a grudge against each other, you got, you know, two of them and and you get hit by one of the guys and you're like, oh, you just bumped me out of the way. I have all right to take him out now. You know, <laughs> sometimes yeah. it just happens that way at Martinsville, but I think it's going to be a really interesting race. And then right after is Martin is right after Martinsville. Do you guys head straight to Dega or to Richmond? So we go to Talladega, we got a one week break and then we go to Talladega and then we get another one week break and then we run 11 races in a row. So that's when we kind of get to the main stretch. We're still kind of here at the beginning part of the season. Like our season's broken up into a couple of sectors, really six races at the beginning, which we have now done. We get a couple of weeks off in between Martinsville and then Talladega. And then we go to the big chunk where we rip off 11 in a row, starting with, uh, I believe Darlington and yeah. then Dover and then Coda and then, uh, down to Charlotte, uh, for, interesting. for that. So it's, we're gonna start ripping them off quick here pretty soon. And, and I think that's what right now in my series, and, and I'm speaking to, to myself here. Um, there's just a lot of people right now that are really on edge in the midfield. And this leads into something that we've talked about on the pod now for months, which is just how competitive these series were going to be for the points positioning, uh, even being in some of these races. 
and guys are racing really hard and, and you got 40 cars out there that are really trying to compete in every race. Like nobody's out there starting parking in the Xfinity series. Uh, nobody's out there just taking it easy. Uh, everybody's going for it. it. It all matters really bad right now. Uh, and I think with that and with that kind of amped up energy and the pressure uh, you're seeing some of that spill over. Like I look at a guy, Noah Graxon, this is a make or break year for Noah Graxon. He knows that. And he's racing like that. Right. And it's rubbing people the wrong way is what it is. He feels like he has got to really push the tempo. He feels like he has really got to stand out and he's gotten off to a tough start, right? Some bad luck at Homestead, whatever it is, bad start. He feels like he's really got to do even more now. Daniel Hemrick, we talked about him. Best shot he's ever had in a race car, right? In NASCAR competition. He feels like this is kind of the put up or shut up year, right? So he's going to have extra emotion. You think about, uh, you know, Jeb Burton. Why would he get frustrated? Why would he kind of clap back at somebody? Well, he's sitting there going, you know, this is my best shot I've ever had. And that was a day ruined when I thought I had a pretty fast car. So all of this is kind of playing into each other here, RJ, where it's guys in the Xfinity series. And look, it's the names are made here thing, right? Yep. So just to get the Xfinity plug in here, these, it's everybody basically trying to set themselves up for future success. Yep. So they have to stand out. They have to achieve. And there's a lot of guys in make or break years, not just, and that's not even counting kind of the mid pack, your business is on the line type stuff that's going on back there. But like a Brandon Brown who's sitting here going, I'm trying to make the playoffs. Every point matters. Every point counts. And then he's swapping paint with Santino Ferrucci. And of course he's going to get really pissed, right? Jeremy Clements. He's jumped off to a great start in the year. He's inside the playoff standings, but he knows Noah Gragson's lurking back there. Michael Annette's lurking back there. The 98 car is lurking back there. So he knows if he doesn't keep performing, he's going to be out of that playoffs quick, right? We start talking about playoff points, stage points, and everything else that goes into this. So it's a lot of guys right now that are feeling like it's every race. I've got to go. I've got to go. I've got to have it. And that's going to lead to a lot of drama. It just naturally is. Yeah. And that's something we talked about before the season. I think we had, we had kind of asked each other, who do we think is, you know, has the most pressure on them? Who is the guy you're looking at most to perform this year? You said Noah Gregson. And, you know, I'm glad you're sticking to that because, I mean, that's true. You know, you look at the history of the nine car as well. You got Chase Elliott champion, Tyler Reddick champion, William Byron champion. Here's Noah Gregson. He's the next driver of the nine. You know, we're, we're looking for that breakout season. And, you, you know, you got, you know, Cole Custer, he's gone. Reddick is gone. Briscoe's gone. Christopher Bell is gone. You're looking, you know, Austin Cindric, defending champion. You want to take him down. So Noah Gregson, definitely the pressure is on. And, uh, you know, he's had a rocky start to the year. Some things not of his doing and some things that just happen. So I think I think it's definitely rightful to say uh, Noah Gregson probably has uh, the most, you know, a make or break season. But like you said, a lot of people are in that same spot. And that's why tempers are flaring. You know, every race matters so much. And these playoffs, we talked about how those, you know, you were you were really big on that. Those 12 spots, you were like, you know, the the locks, the big teams coming in here. And we've started out the year with, you know, maybe this weekend wasn't the greatest run for, you know, Brandon Brown and their team. But, you know, they're, they're still had some very solid runs. They've shown they've had the speed. You know, they sit 11th in the standings right now. Jeremy Clements, he's ninth in the standings right now. Right. And you got guys that are on the outside looking in that you think are going to get in. You know, no, Gregson's 21 points out, but he'll make that ground up. 
Landon Castle is right there. He's had some very solid runs. Um, and then there's Tommy Joe Martins right there as well in 16th in the playoff picture. And and Michael Annette, you know, a guy that you're kind of watching. Does Michael Annette make it in? You know, does he have enough to get there for right. Remy Clemens, who's running the 51 car? It was very fast at Atlanta this week. He drove himself up to like fourth, I think, at one point. Yeah, third or fourth super impressive. Crazy. Yeah. Super impressive. Just what that restart here start know, this year. Bottom, which sucks, you know. And then yeah. Ryan Sieg, very, you know, surprising. And I don't think that's necessarily been uncharacteristic. Yeah, I don't think it's necessarily yeah. been a total speed thing. I think it's just been incidents that have happened. And you look at the yeah. 39 team and what really stuck them out last year was the strategies that they did as well. And it really worked out for them last year. This year, I've seen them do kind of the same thing and it really hasn't worked out. You know, um, the the one they did at Phoenix, it wasn't really they're doing. I mean, they put Ryan Sieg out at front on old tires and he just got ran over, you know, by the field. I mean, they just put him in the fence which is unfortunate, but a lot of people felt like they had to go. <laughs> and unfortunately, right. he was a victim of that. So, I mean, they're 19th in the standings. There's still so much of the season left, you know, to make up ground. And, you know, this is a new thing for them as well. I mean, they just transitioned over to Ford after so much time at Chevy building up their program. And they probably, you know, feel like it's a big year. But yeah, like you said, very uncharacteristic of this team. But I, I would trust, you know, Ryan Sieg, a guy like him to, to, you know, keep, keep care of the car and probably, you know, it's a long season. So much can happen in this time. Uh, I think he can make up that ground for sure, but it is interesting. Yeah, well, we, we, look, we look at the Xfinity dynamic here, RJ, and we talked about it, right? We got 15 cars that are full blown, uh, either cup affiliated or just straight up cup teams. That's 15 teams. Now of those, uh, 12 of them have full-time drivers. Yeah. So as far as I'm concerned, you just go, well, that's your, that's your field, right? Like that's, that is the, the playoff field, but wait, that next little group of five cars, I consider them like the B plus cars. Um, when you talk about a programs, B programs, I would consider some of these like a B plus, like Brandon Brown made the playoffs last year. That's a B plus. Uh, and, and, and they're doing a great job. Uh, these are still small teams, but small teams with the funding to do it, or or at least the know-how to do it kind of the right way with good engines, they're buying the tires every week, good pit crew, and a good driver that's going to be in the car each and every week. I look at Brett Moffat and what they're doing over there at Allen Motorsports. I look at Jeremy Clements with the experience and the knowledge that they've got over there at the 51. Everybody forgets, they've been in the series for like 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> like they've, they've kind of figured this stuff out. They're pretty good at it. At maximizing that. Jeremy's a really, really good racer. And then Ryan Sieg, right? Ryan Sieg being that other team that now switching over to Ford, we know that that's a Ford program, that Ford is is really kind of stepping in, wanting them to be another uh, plus team for them in Xfinity. And so I look at that and the way the playoffs picture is going to shape out, as far as I was concerned, uh, Brett Moffitt was not a contender because he's not he's not declared for points. He probably would have been would be definitely a contender. I was surprised. Uh, I mean, he has, has been up front in several races now. So I'm surprised that that is not the route that he went here in the Xfinity series. Yeah. You know, but it it has changed that playoff field, right? Because that would have been just another driver. Realistically, uh, we talk about those twelve. Throw Brett Moffat's name in there. Throw Clements. Throw Brandon Brown. Throw Ryan C. Well, you would have realistically had 16, maybe 17 guys that could have been making the playoffs, and that would have been about as deep 
as the field would have ever been. If you want to throw my name in the hat, great too. Okay, that's 18 drivers um, that that would have really had a shot to make the playoffs. And that's probably about as deep as the field has been in the Xfinity Series in a long time. Yeah. And and like you said about Brett Moffat, I was puzzled at that at the beginning of the season and still am now that he didn't go the route of, you know, driving the O2 full time. Uh, well, this is one of those now it's probably too late, right? So yeah. like all these points are so valuable unless you really believe that you can go win a race and win your way into the playoffs, which I'm sure Brett's sitting there looking at it going, man, I was running second at, at Homestead. Like it's not out of the realm of possibility. And I think that might be a conversation later on in the year, RJ, right? Like what, how long is too long, right? Where you go, okay, I'm out of the points. Is it realistic that I can win a race and get back to the top 20 in points in time to qualify for the playoffs? What would that look like? Uh, we got a, essentially a seven race playoff in the Xfinity series. So you're looking at basically by race 26. Uh, there's probably a cutoff point here where he's probably going to get past Talladega. And, and that probably would be about as far as you could realistically wait to still get back into the top 20 in points. It's not just winning a race. It's winning a race and getting in the top 20 in points to qualify yourself for, for playoff contention. Yeah, I, yeah, that was something that definitely confused me. I mean, I'm looking at it right now. If, it, if he were to be driving for the points, he would be sitting 12th. Um, he, would have, he would hold right. the last playoff spot, just a few points over Riley Herbst. And who knows how that can change throughout the season. But they have just been fast. And I knew they had the capability with all their alliances that our motorsports has had. But they have been fast. I mean, the guy was running, yeah, like you said, second at Homestead until, you know, he got in the fence just with a few to go. Unfortunately, right. he had to pit. Um, I mean, he was fast at Atlanta, too. And then that whole incident on the backstretch, you know, unfortunate. But, you know, when I look at Nice Motorsports in the truck series as well, I was, you know, cut off guard by that move. I mean, I knew it was, you know, when I was hearing about it, I was like, I was like, well, yeah, he's going to go run for Nice, but he's still going to run for Xfinity points, right? And then. I get, you know, he's running for truck series. And I know, I know he loves the truck series and everything. Um, but right now in the truck series uh, points, he sits 13th. He's five back of the cut. Still a long way to go. Only, a, you know. See, to me, RJ, that, that was like a Chevrolet thing. It, it's yeah. just, this is me looking from the outside. This is no like insider knowledge here. It's just that looked like Chevrolet has been involved with a few teams with like Nice and GMS. And you had the Ross Chastain connection. And did they just feel like they needed a veteran over there at Nice to kind of like evaluate the program, right? To just kind of judge because they got Carson Hosovar over there and they've got Ryan Truex. And I'm not talking bad about either of these. They had also uh, had funded drivers kind of rotating through. And it was probably just the idea of like settling on somebody to be the stalwart for the organization a guy that's been a champion in that series, a guy that's performed at the front of the field, and just be able to kind of evaluate, you know, how good are our trucks? Do we need to improve? What do we need to get better at? And and I think that's probably what Brett's bringing to the table. Maybe that was part of the deal, was staying involved in the truck points and, and having him be a contender. If he was going to be the number one driver for Nice, how is that going to look if he's not even really qualified for the points? So I get that. Uh, was our motorsports is using Brett for the same reason, right? We're going to basically develop our program with you, but we're also going to have a, another car that we're going to use for funded drivers, cup drivers that are coming down to maybe occasionally run a, a race here or there, like a Tyler Reddick, something like that. Okay. So they're doing their program kind of different right now. 
they're probably a few steps away. I think they would look at Nice and say, you know what, that's kind of what we want to get to. This is a mid-level team that has a chance to make the playoffs and that on the given year, right, Ross Chastain had a chance to win a championship. And, and I think our motorsports would like to build themselves the same way. Yeah, yeah, definitely, uh, for sure, in that that aspect. And, then, you know, maybe it does pay off. Maybe Nice does start to get a little better throughout the season. You know, those Ford Tribe truck get a little better. Um, but it definitely was where, and you hope this would lead to a Brett Moffitt maybe getting a top, you know, cup Chevy ride in the future. <laughs> yeah, you know, we've been waiting like five, six years for it to happen. I mean, you never know. I mean, I know he's looking for it, but I know Brett Moffitt loves the truck series. And one thing about Nice and GMS is because I know they had an alliance back in, you know, when Ross Chastain was running for him or a little bit before that, you know, they had got some trucks and everything like that. And I don't know if, you know, maybe some bridges burned between them two. But I know a guy that doesn't like GMS, and that's Brett Moffitt. I mean, that's the reason that's the reason why he left. So maybe they just, you know, had a meeting and they were like, hey, I don't like GMS either. <laughs> you know, and it was weird, you know, how that happened. And you knew that Brett Moffitt was kind of, you know, I, I could kind of see it coming during the season. Brett Moffitt, he just wasn't really, you know, you could hear it on the radio. He was never a fan of those guys besides Sheldon Creed. Him and Sheldon Creed are still good buddies, but. And, you know, everyone, it was, it was weird how Brett Moffitt wasn't really liking how GMS was working and then kind of just decided to leave and kind of take a bet on, you know, a lot of people took bets on themselves this year, I feel like. And Brett Moffitt, I felt like was one of those guys, you know, he hopped out of the GMS system and took a bet on himself is going to, you know, is helping our now, you know, build their program, which I think is great. And, you know, running for Nice now as well. So We'll see where this leads for Brett Moffat. I think it's great to have a driver like him getting seat time. I mean, if you think of the last guy that kind of took this route, it was Ross Chastain. I mean, Ross Chastain, I mean, heck, he was running almost every cup race every weekend, every Xfinity Series race every weekend, and every truck race every weekend. And that seat time, you know, paid off, paid off. And eventually now Ross is at Chip Ganassi. Who knows? Maybe this leads to something bigger for Brett Moffat. You can only hope. But right. Um, and we look at Brett and, and this is this is me going to be waving the unfair advantage flag here. Get ready. And I do this a lot. So a guy like Brett, who's already so good and so talented. So now he's going to get to go run the truck race, get out of the truck. And he and I literally talked on pit road before I got in my Xfinity car. And I was like, well, how's the track? And he was like, yeah, you know, it's over here. I was running a little high and I was, you know, the track fell about like that. So he's already got like, a, <laughs> so now not only is he probably better than me. But now he's he's already been out there for 120 laps yeah. and is warmed up. And then he's going to hop in an Xfinity car and take off. And you go, oh, man, he's worn out. It's like, look, add up the mileage on our race and the truck race, and it's still less than a cup race. So Brett Brett was fine. He was good to go to hop in another car. It looked like he didn't even run a race. He, he, was, he was in great shape. <laughs> so all of a sudden, he's able to just perfectly know uh, we're running the same tire. So he knows exactly the way the car was kind of feeling, the way the track was taking rubber. He knows all this. And that's why he's able to fire off in some of these Xfinity races and just go like, like a bandit because we're getting on the track, a lot of us, for the first time that weekend when they dropped the green flag. And you're seeing that disparity. And, and I've made fun of Timmy Hill like that, too, because he's run a lot of truck races for his own team. Uh, you know, we go, oh, here comes the ringer. You know, because he's getting he's getting a chance to run the track the day before and then getting another another race car. So I've always felt like that was an unfair advantage from a driver standpoint. Um, I understand why guys do it. I get why NASCAR allows it. So this is not me crying foul here. I'm not like saying change the rules and all this stuff. 
I've just always laughed and made fun of those guys. Cause it's like, all right, well, obviously it's going to take me about 50 laps to get to where you were. Cause you just ran, a, you just ran 120 and you know exactly what, what the track is, is doing. Yeah. So, so one thing I asked, I think it was like a few weeks ago, uh, we talked about if, you know, kind of, kind of like our motorsports when Tyler Reddick was driving the O3 and would it be more appealing to fans and people like that if cup drivers came out and ran for smaller teams and brought sponsorship to smaller teams instead of running under a Joe Gibbs racing banner or something like that. And that's what I think really makes this truck series race this weekend. A lot of fun. You know, obviously it's truck yeah. it's on dirt. I'm excited for it, but there are so many, you know, the cup drivers coming out and they're joining these small teams. We got, you know, I'll, I'll list them off. We got Daniel Suarez, who's just announced for Young's Motorsports. I think that's really cool. Uh -huh. Too Chase Briscoe driving for Roper Racing, you know, bringing some sponsorship to them. Awesome. Bubba Wallace brings Columbia over to Spencer Davis Racing, the 11. So cool. Kevin Harvick, you know, David Gilland Racing with Hunt Brothers there. You got um, Mike Snyder, not a cup driver, but he goes to Rion Bros Racing. He brings, uh, you know, his sponsor, Louisiana Hot Sauce, over there yeah. to run on that truck. And, nice. and, and, to and to remind everybody, remember, Josh Rayum. And Mike Snyder worked together on that 93 car for Ryan Sieg and them last year. That was kind of a partnership there between Ray Brothers Racing and Ryan Sieg Racing. So that's where those roots yeah. started. It's good to see that continue. I think one of the one of the best stories out of this weekend is, is Brad Means comes out for his first race as ownership. And it's Ryan Newman driving the yeah. 39 Coca-Cola truck uh, at the Bristol Dirt Race. I think that's cool. You got Kyle Larson coming to run for Nice. Um, um, and uh, Jessica Friesen driving the 62 truck, the, the wife of Stuart Friesen, yeah. husband and wife are going to be out there racing. So many cool stories going into this weekend, and I know they'll touch on it, um, you know, on Fox and the pre-race show and everything. Uh, you got some other guys coming out to race. Uh, Andrew Gordon's driving the 49. You got Martin Trix Jr. driving the 51. Yes, Kyle Busch Motorsports truck, you know. Boo-hoo, but you know, it's still good to see him out there. <laughs> it's manufacturer um, alliances here, yeah. guys. That's that's what yeah. we're talking about. Yeah. So it, it's awesome to see so many, so many cool names driving for these smaller teams and getting them on the map, bringing up some sponsorship for the race. Because even for this race, you know you're gonna tear up a truck and just be done with it, anyways. I mean, they do have Knoxville coming up as well um later in the season. Uh Norm Benning. Excited for Norm Benning because this is, you know, we talked about this a few weeks ago. What is Norm going to do with that 15,000, which is probably 30,000 now because Overton's was on the truck last weekend. Um, however, yeah. he's going to pocket it and probably go full send in this dirt race. I, I, I have that feeling. So, Loving it. And why not? So I think this will be awesome. We got 44 trucks are going to be fighting for 40 spots. Um, so which, by the way, seems like a lot. When we start talking about 40 spots. Like, first of all, I'm glad they're starting 40. I'm just saying at Eldora, that's a 32 truck field. Yeah. Okay. So you're thinking to yourself, okay, 32 trucks on a dirt track. And think about how crowded Eldora got with 32 trucks on it. Now we're throwing 40 on Bristol on dirt. This is me speaking as, uh, as a fan here for a minute, right? Because what I know is from an ownership standpoint, they need to start 40 trucks. Okay. So like I'm pro more trucks. This is good. What I worry about here is the number of cautions because we are very prone to seeing a lot of cautions on these dirt races at Eldora. And that's with, and it's a half mile dirt track with 32 trucks. You're about to see eight more. So we're increasing the field size by 
at a track that nobody's got any laps on except for like one day of practice. Yeah. And we're probably going to see and a lot of like inexperience mixed with very experienced. Oh, gosh. And we're probably going to see a, a lot of caution. No. So like, I'm just telling everybody bear with me a little bit, bear with the product a little bit. We all want to watch this. I got a feeling it's, it's going to be a little bit of a hard watch at a couple spots uh, when they're kind of first getting going here. We, we kind of expect this in the truck series, honestly, other places too. I mean, you know, the, while the Atlanta race wasn't the most exciting, as, as a guy who cares about the small teams, it was great to not see one truck torn up the whole race. All four yeah. trucks made it home clean. And I was like, that's a great thing because the first three weeks of the truck series was a complete disaster. I mean, there were wrecked <laughs> trucks everywhere. And it was, it, you know, it's, you know, funny for some fans to watch sometimes, but then again, it's like, man, that hey, they, a lot were, of dollars. they were sponsored at least. Thank you, Marcus Lemonis. Yes, they were sponsored. Marcus Lemonis. <laughs> fully, yeah, fully funded. We had about, I think, nine, 10 Overton trucks this weekend, and not one was torn up. That's great. That's awesome. So these teams can, you know, pocket the money. They don't have to worry about a destroyed truck this week in Atlanta, except the next week, we're going to destroy probably every truck in the field at Bristol Dirt. Now, one thing I'm, <laughs> I'm worried about is you say the cautions and I'm thinking there's going to be a lot of lap traffic at Bristol. There's lap traffic anyways, but right. There's a place for them to go. How many lanes is there going to be that the trucks are going to be willing to run? Because at Eldora, you know, the corners are obviously a lot flatter. It's wide. Um, You know, if you're a lap truck, you can just go somewhere else. You know, there were a lot of places to go. I didn't really get to watch the, the Bristol dirt you know, nationals and see, I mean, it's different to compare a, a late model and, you know, a, a truck, but I just, I, you know, I'm wondering where those lines are going to be because if there's one slipstream line around the track, then where are the lab trucks going to go? Because, you know, that's, that's going to be a conflict. I feel like, you know, at Bristol, if we're running that and lap cars are already, you know, a, uh, a problem, I feel like on dirt, it's going to be even worse. Well, first of all, the pace here is going to be very different than what was going on at the Dirt Nationals, right? I mean, those are purpose-built, late models. Very different. You know, purpose-built dirt cars. That is not what we're driving, okay? We're, we're essentially driving the cruise ship compared to a speedboat uh, when, when we start to kind of comparing uh, their purpose of the cars here. So, the speed's going to be down quite a bit. I do think they're making it a big time priority to have two grooves in this track uh, where you're going to see that you're going to see the bottom come in. You're going to see the top come in. I don't think the middle is really going to be much of an option here. Uh, So I I think it's going to resemble that Eldora race where you're going to see guys moving around. You're going to see guys commit to the bottom. You're going to see guys commit to the top. Uh, And I think that's awesome. I I do think this, (laughs) we've talked about my feelings about this even happening. Yep. I'm against. <laughs> Am I going to watch? Yeah, absolutely. So is everybody going to watch, right? It's going to be a spectacle. And, and watching those dirt nationals and looking at the fans in the stands and looking at the reactions and seeing all those guys and all those cars parked in the infield and, and so many people getting to race at Bristol. That's one thing you're not going to hear me saying anything bad about. Like when we do shows like that, where late model guys get to come run the, you know, the U S short track nationals at, at Bristol and the dirt guys get to come race now, the, the dirt nationals at, at Bristol. That is cool. That's cool for just the entire racing world, for them to get to experience a place that I think is, without a doubt, the most amazing venue in all of motorsports. And I mean that wholeheartedly. Like, I understand there's Indianapolis Motor Speedway. I understand there's Spa. I understand there's Lamar. I, I, I get it. 
I'm talking about just purely a watching experience. Uh, I think Bristol has got to be way up there. Just the intensity of it, the proximity to it, the ability to see the entire racetrack, the speed, um, the noise, everything about it uh, is such a cool and special place. And, and when you every every year when I show up to Bristol, when we park in the parking lot, and or even when we're turning off the interstate headed to Bristol, and you see it, it is. It is so massive <laughs> and it is yeah. just sitting there looming and you just know that you're getting into a fist fight, basically. And I don't mean that literally. I'm talking about just like metaphorically here with the way you're going to have to drive your car and, and race other guys. You basically just go get in a bare knuckle boxing match there. And, and I expect the trucks and, and cup cars to, to basically be the same thing. Like it's going to be a great show. My big thing was, did we need to do it? It was already the best show. <laughs> it was it was already the best show. I don't know. Like, if you want to do this, do it somewhere that it was a crappy show. Bristol was already the best one. Yeah. But I'm still going to watch. It's still going to be cool. And, and visually, I'll talk about this, RJ, looking at that and looking at some of the clips from the Dirt Nationals, it really is spectacular. Yeah. Seeing that track covered in the dirt, the way that they've done it, uh, look, it's blown me away. I, I think it's really, really impressive how they've done it. And I'm really excited for the races this weekend. I know a lot of people are. Yeah, it's going to be fun. And I know you were saying how massive Bristol is. I've never been to Bristol personally. Atlanta this weekend was the fourth track I visited. Bristol is on my bucket list for sure. I know for a lot of people it is. So, But I seeing the track covered in dirt was definitely different. And I think a really fun part about this weekend is the dirt ringers we have in the cup series field, not just the truck series field, the truck is yeah. it's loaded with everybody, but uh, the cup series, you got a few, uh, you got a few dirt ringers in the field. You got Mike Marlar is going to be driving the 66 for MBM, uh, Shane Golobic in the 78 for live fast motorsports. And then you can kind of go through as well. And just note on your guys who you know are going to be good on dirt. You got Kyle Larson. You got Christopher Bell. J.J. Wendley. Chris Wyndham 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 making a start. Chris Wyndham in the the Cup Series. That's right. That that scheme looks nice. Uh, I don't know if you've seen it. The NOS 15, they were just wrapping I think, yeah, looks awesome. So you got them. You got J.J. Yaley in the 53. Don't count him out. Ryan Newman, we know, on dirt. Chase Briscoe. So I think it's really going to be fun. I know I'm really looking forward to the truck race. Now, this weekend, I know where a lot of people were concerned about the rain and what conditions they can race in. I, I checked the forecast this morning. It doesn't look amazing as it's been the past few weeks, but, you know, hopefully the rain stays away, you know, because it would really suck. I mean, the, this has been what Fox has been promoting for the last four weeks for every race, you know. Uh, they've been promoting Bristol, Bristol dirt, you know, all, all, all throughout the last three or four races at least. And that would suck if it gets postponed. The day. I mean, well, what, you- I, what I worry about here, RJ, is what are we going to define this as a success? Like, how do we define it, right? Is this going to be a really cool event? I think it absolutely will be. Yeah. And I think it will be a very well-watched event, which is what Fox and what NASCAR and what SMI wanted with this. They, they wanted to just generate a lot of pub, Let's do something crazy. Dirt at Bristol. We're doing it. Cup Series. Here we go. You know what? It's worked. They have sold out all the tickets. It is, I mean, I've heard tickets going as high as $1,400 in the secondary market. All right. So it worked. But my question is, 
is this a temporary thing or is this a permanent thing? And, and here's why I bring that up. Because with Eldora, first Eldora, you couldn't get in the parking lot. It was standing room only. It was sold out crowd. Every It didn't matter there was a truck race. It was like, oh my gosh, NASCAR is coming back to dirt. This is insane. All right. Fast forward the clock, six, seven years. Is that Was it the same level of intensity? No. And, and I went to that race a few years. I mean, we owned a truck team. So I went there. And it was a good crowd. But it was not the packed sellout fervor crowd that it was the first year, right? So are we really in love with this right now because it's new, because it's so unique, because it's like we've never seen it? And we kind of have seen it with trucks, but we haven't seen it with cup cars and we haven't seen it at Bristol. So it's like the uniqueness, the, the newness of it uh, that's got us so jacked up. And with that, right, it's probably going to skew the ratings. It's probably going to get a big rating. And so then does it go, well, we've got to do this again. This was the most watched thing besides the Daytona 500. Okay. But is it going to keep being the most watched thing is what I'm saying, right? Like, is it just the fact that it's so wacky and new and whatever? And then it's kind of, it's like, oh, well, it's just another race now, you know, five years down the road. You and I have talked about this. I think part of this is like, we've got a car that's going out of date let's just kind of throw some stuff at the wall and see what sticks. The car that they're working on right now, <laughs> nothing in the development has been playing around around the dirt race. Yeah. So, and it's a $300,000 race car. Uh, it's a little different than where you just print your own cars at your own shop. So it's just kind of a different look at this that <laughs> I'm not sure works in the long term. It yeah. works for this weekend and it's going to be a blast. Does it work for the long term? I don't know. Yeah, uh, that, that's the thing. And I think that's the main point is it's new. It's fresh and it's got all the fans excited. They've been hyping it up. First time NASCAR has been on dirt and, you know, forever. So I think that's definitely a big part of them, you know, marketing it. But like we said, the next gen car, you know, they're probably not having a dirt race next year, right? This is just a thing. We got a bunch of cars to throw away last year. But are they? That's what I'm saying. I don't know. Like I, I say, they're not. I hope. Not. I don't know, RJ. Yeah. Like, okay. If let's say this draws a crazy, I mean, the crowd. Like I said, it's already a crazy crowd, right? They're, they sold out instantly. Tickets to both both races. Okay, great. Bristol is one of the best crowds you will ever go to in a NASCAR race. I mean, it is awesome. I mean, it is so because again, it's so loud, it's so intense. The crowd's so into it, you can't help but be into it. Right at a mile and a half, there go the cars. One, or they're on the back stretch. You're like having a conversation. Okay, well, here they come. Okay, Ooh. and it's still intense. It's still awesome. But at Bristol, there is no relief. It is like you're watching. There is you can't help but watch. It's right there. So it's an awesome crowd. So it's going to be a great time. It's going to be a great atmosphere. It's probably going to draw a big TV number. People are probably going to be fighting in the pits. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be fun. It's going to be chaotic. And what I'm saying is if you're television, right? So let, let's say I'm the, the NASCAR on Fox executive here and I'm going, okay, this was a roaring success. And if you're the track executive, you're going, this was a roaring success. And you go back to NASCAR and you go, we got to do this again. And NASCAR goes, uh, let's talk to the teams. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen because I just feel like this is going to be so skewed, RJ, with the first year of doing this 
then it's going to be hard. You got nothing else to base it on. And what I'm trying to compare it to, look, quite frankly, the, the truck series is awesome. All right. I, we love the truck series. Obviously, we, <laughs> we're the demographic here, RJ. We're the people watching every day. But to the casual fan, the Cup Series is what matters. To most fans, the Cup Series is what matters, what I would say, even though Xfinity and truck numbers are definitely up. We all know that the Cup Series is the straw that stirs the drink on all this. So I can't really base the Cup Series and the reaction to Bristol and it probably declining if they run dirt for several years off the Truck Series because it's just not the same. Like if you took the Cup Series somewhere, like Kentucky, for example, right? Kentucky was attracting, was going to shut down 10 years ago. They were screaming about getting a cup date. They said, we have to have a cup date just to survive. And then they did until eventually they didn't. But still, like the cup series is the buoy that kind of keeps everything afloat here. And so it's just going to be, this is going to be one of the weirdest things to try to judge in the post race of like, how did it go? Because it's probably going to go great. But you're like, all right, well, does, should we do this? Every year, or is this like a one-off thing? That's it. I just the, the debate afterwards by people that they get paid a lot more money than me to make really smart business decisions. That's going to be really tough. I think the ideal thing here is you know hopefully we can find another dirt track, and hopefully this truck move to Knoxville is maybe a bridge for if we do do Cup and Dirt again, maybe we do it there. If Bristol Eldora. is such a hit. Make up with Tony Stewart. Everybody <laughs> make up with Tony Stewart. Just everybody shake hands and get over this. Yeah, maybe. Eldora is the place. I hope so. Yeah, that's what I mean. That's what we hoped. Eldora was great. You, know, you, want, you want cup racing in Ohio? Eldora is in Ohio. There it is. Yeah, hopefully they can fix that. I mean, because that was, that was the place where we all thought it was. But I think the ideal situation, honestly, you look at this and you have a dirt race this year, unless it's, you know, incredible and they really feel like they need to develop a dirt car for next year immediately. I think, you know, for, like you said, we're going to start off this. This is so exciting because it's so fresh. It's so new and you got everybody tuning in. So, you know, what if we do this this year, we take it off, take the dirt race off the schedule next year, since we'll just have the next gen car anyways, make it easier on the teams. And you'll be focusing on the new car anyways. You can, you can market that. And then maybe, the next year or the year after whenever then if the dirt race was so good at bristol bring a dirt race back because we know you know we were talking about what will happen to that bristol date you know with nashville fairgrounds maybe on the horizon does that come into the equation i think you know there's so many things that can happen with the schedule maybe in the next few years you know i just unless it's a crazy I mean, like i have i have two different um uh you know, thoughts going into both of these races this weekend, the truck series. I am like the way I'm thinking of it just off the top of my head. I'm ready for just a dog fight. I'm ready for a crazy race. I mean, I just think of all the Eldora memories for when they first went there and those races were crazy. I mean, they tore up the trucks. Um, you know, it was nuts. You know, we kind of know what a truck race looks like. The norm biddings. The the norm norm bidding. Bidding. I, that's exactly what I was thinking about. <laughs> <laughs> you read, you read the, Clay, the Clay, Clay Greenfield's worst nightmare. Played over and over again every year. It's all I think about. Clay's a national guy, a guy that I've I've known for a long time. And every time they show that clip, I'm like, oh my gosh, here we go again, Clay. <laughs> they're probably there, and they're probably going to show it again when this week. Because that's the sure. other part is like Clay got his truck KO'd in that deal and didn't make the race, <laughs> didn't even get paid. 
Oh God. Yeah. That's the fun thing about these heat races. How many cars, how many trucks <laughs> can tear up and then not even going to make the show. Um, but, but the cup race, on the other hand, I'm just like, I, I don't even know. I'm going to have to build myself up to take it seriously. I feel like I'm not even like taking it totally seriously. Now, when I look at these guys, you know, back in the field, the dirt ringers, like all these guys can win. I'm getting excited, but really just overall, I'm just like this season of NASCAR of the 2101 season, we've already started off with five, six different winners. Now, Michael McDowell won the Daytona 500. We had a Las Vegas race where the leaders were like three wide for like four laps. I mean, the season's been nuts so far, either way you want to look at it. And I'm just looking at this Bristol dirt race, like, oh God, like this is going to, you know, we, we got Clint Boyer in the booth. Who's probably going to make it a lot of fun. And which way do they present this? Are they going to really go at it in a serious way and then have it be a total wreck fest and have to kind of defend the race? Yeah. Or are they just going to be up there having fun with the cars wrecking everywhere and just laughing? I, I feel like, this <laughs> one, I feel like when you got Clint Boyer in the booth, I feel like he'll be, you know, they'll, they'll be having fun with it. And I think that's what needs to happen. Hopefully they don't, take it so seriously because we know it's not going to be the cleanest race in the world. Like there will well, be. Here's what, here's what I love about this RJ. Like I believe this is going to be me uh, making a very big point here at what I know is kind of the end of the podcast, but I think there has been a chasm that was created between what we do in the NASCAR world and kind of what racers do at, at local tracks around America uh, where NASCAR was this unapproachable you got to have millions of dollars to go run NASCAR now. And it felt like NASCAR had disconnected itself, uh, at least in the impressions that I got from talking to a lot of people around the country, that NASCAR had really disconnected itself from the average racer. That talked 30 years ago, the average racer felt like if he really succeeded on his local track, he could maybe make it to the big show, right? And, and, and over the course of time, and a lot of different reasons, right, that we're not going to go into now, that eroded. And there was this big separation, which is why, you know, whatever, Kyle Larson gets just an absolute standing ovation at a dirt track. Like he is like the king of dirt tracks, even when he was going through a little bit of a, you know, kind of a darker time last year, dealing with everything that he deal, dealt with, you know, after the incident uh, during the I race. Okay. He was still the most popular dirt racer in the world everywhere he went. And it's because like he was one of them, right? He was one of these racers. He had kind of ingrained himself as one of those, and they were going to kind of defend their own. And NASCAR needed something. And there was that dip in the toe in the water at Eldora. But again, that's not, it's not the Cup Series. It's not the Premier Series. And this has done something. I mean, it has made the dirt world, which is the most blue-collar racing world there is. Yeah really look at NASCAR and say that this is a cool event and, and that and, and has allowed them to go compete at Bristol the week before and have NASCAR guys like Chase Elliott and Kyle Busch and these guys going to racing in late models and Austin Dillon and all these guys going down. It. And so it is a reconnection yeah. a little bit to the dirt world where we've come from more blue collar racing. And that is so desperately needed in NASCAR. You know, I can talk about the, 15 different ways to do it, right? We're not doing that now. But the thing that I think this is doing more than anything else is it is absolutely kind of showing a commitment to kind of reconnect to a part of the fan base that felt a little bit left alone for a long part period of time here in the NASCAR 
kind of world, we moved away from short tracks. We moved away from kind of that blue collar feel to the sport. And this is a little bit of a reconnection to that. And so I hope that Fox, we start talking about this with TV. I think Fox is going to lean into that kind of that reconnecting with dirt and the history of NASCAR on dirt and talking to guys that are dirt guys in NASCAR and really trying to kind of weave that together. And I think that is probably going to be the most beneficial thing of the entire weekend. Yeah, I think, you know, we can, you know, we've had our thoughts on it, whether positive or negative, what they're doing for this weekend. But I do think it, it has been really cool. The Bristol Dirt Nationals that they've been having with the cup drivers coming out there, everyone, you know, all the just the dirt racers that are able to do this event because NASCAR, you know, went there and decided to put dirt on the racetrack. I think it's been really cool. And in this weekend, you know, whether we're we're laughing about it or I mean, we'll probably be laughing about it, but I think we'll get two solid races this weekend, the truck race and, and the cup race. So it'll be awesome. So before we wrap it up here, we'll we'll make our predictions for the cup race. Now, I won't let us cheat. We can't pick Kyle Larson or Christopher Bell. <laughs> we're going to have to look right. at the rest of the field. Okay, that would have been the two. <laughs> yeah, that, that's an obvious pick. So if it's not Kyle Larson or Christopher Bell, um, you know, maybe we can kind of throw Chase Briscoe around in there. Maybe who who are you looking at that maybe we don't think is going to be a star this weekend that maybe you'll, you'll get to shine at the, at the cup race. For everybody that can't see this, I'm holding up three fingers for Austin Dillon. I've held up three fingers for Austin Dillon. Austin Dillon, let's go through the hit list here. Has won the Eldora Dirt Derby. Won the first one, actually, yeah. which to me is like a little bit even more impressive, uh, and then has competed in that race several times, has a feel for it, has always run up front in it, just went to Bristol Dirt, and won. won a late model feature the past weekend, and now he's hopping in an RCR car. And by the way, I'm just saying RCR and ECR engines, they've been building dirt engines for late models and stuff for a while now. And so I think they're going to have it tuned up pretty well. And him and Tyler Reddick, so I'm going to hedge a little bit here, both him and Tyler Reddick have got to be considered strong candidates for really good runs here. So I, I know I'm picking two there, but like the RCR guys, watch out for, for Austin Dillon and Tyler Reddick. That's who I'd be laying money on here. Now, as a big small team fan, I hope the field is very equalized this weekend. And then uh, while we're yeah. out there, you know, I would love to see Chris Windham in the 15 up there, Shane Golobic, the 78. You hope they'll have some some great runs. But, you know, if I'm looking for one of those guys, like you said, Austin Dillon, that's a great pick. He went and did, you know, I, people forget about that. He went won the Eldora race. He won Bristol Dirt feature this weekend. Um, if, if I had to select the guy out of here, I would, I'm going to go with Ryan Newman, honestly. I think Ryan yeah. Newman, I think, you know, it's hard to compare what they've done on the oval circuits this year to how they're going to carry this momentum into a dirt race. But Roush Fenway, I feel like they got some momentum. They're feeling confident right now. Chris Busher's in the playoffs. He had some great runs. Ryan Newman had a fast car on Sunday as well. Um, you know, Ryan Newman, we know he's, he's done dirt racing a lot. He'll be doing the truck race the day before. Um, you know, some, someone I'll be watching as well, Bubba Wallace, who's won the truck race before. Yes. So I'd, I'd be looking at Ryan Newman. He's, he's my pick outside of, outside of Bell, Larson and Briscoe, um, that could that could possibly shine, but I think it's going to be, it's a crazy race. I have a feeling we're going to get a winner. We're not even talking about. I have, I, I feel, I have a feeling it's going to be one of those races. It's been that season. It's been that season. Everyone who we think is going to win the weekend 
doesn't win and then someone else comes out and wins so you know it's it's gonna be it's gonna be wild uh fox sports super six uh winning clint's money i don't know who's gonna win clint's money who's gonna guess the stage <laughs> two finishers um but you know uh, we'll see somebody I, call rico abrew you cowards Somebody call Rico. I was Abreu. so surprised by that. I really expected him to be in there for, for someone. I'm sorry. Week. If I'm a cup team owner, there's there's one call that I was making there. I feel like it's like Superman coming out of the uh, the phone booth. Yeah. It's Rico Abreu hopping in my car. Uh, first of all, he'd probably be the the most cheered person there. And then also, I'm gonna I'm gonna have a chance to run up front. So yeah, somebody call Rico Abreu. You you cowards. Somebody yeah, it was weird. Them. I mean, we had one spot left in the Cup Series entry list. I mean, there's only 39. There was 40. I, you know, I was really, I was really, I was really confident that Rico Avery would find something. I don't, you know, I don't know if it just didn't come together, money wise. Somebody didn't yeah. call them and, up. and that's what this is. Look, RJ, it's funny, and, and and I get that, and I'm making fun here. Like, I just look at kind of the back of the field right here. And you and I talked about the specialists at the beginning of the year, right? Yep. Having like a super speedway specialist whether that is, you know, a, a Brennan gone. And, and I mean that like, not just like, okay, he's good at super speedways, but he's respected and they'll trust him in the draft and they'll work with him. and It'll give you a chance at a good finish. A road course specialist and Andy Lally and AJ Allmendinger, somebody that is and, and AJ's working to kind of dispel that, that notion of himself yeah. with the runs that he's having a mile and a half and, and everything else this year. He's much more than that. But you got to look at him like one of the best in the world at driving a stock car on a road course. Okay. Do you get something like that? And then for this dirt race, to me, it's like if I'm picking just dirt ringers, Rico Avery would have to be a guy that's in there. So he's run the truck race multiple times and is a multiple time Chili Bowl winner. I guess that's a guy that I would have looked at if I was a small team in the back. No offense to my friends here. At Rick Ware Racing. I know all of those guys, okay? And they are all working really hard to go put on a good show this weekend. I, I just, if I'm Rick there, I'm just going, okay, look, Josh Balicki, I love you and you are great and you're doing everything I need you to do this year. This is no offense to you, but I'm just going to get somebody with some dirt experience in this car for this weekend. I got to think it's a chance for us to gain big points. God. Yeah, I saw something when you mentioned Josh Balicki. I saw in his story earlier, he was saying he was running on dirt for the first time and he was driving a little tiny go-kart on that right. field. <laughs> oh my and it's God. like, man, you're about to do this on the biggest stage I know. of all time. This is going to be the most watched dirt race in the history yeah. of television. And I just, I, like, I feel bad for him because I love Josh. Josh is a great driver. And on a road course, I legit think he's one of the best drivers in NASCAR. Like, he's absolutely in the yeah. running and the top 25 of like best road course racers in, in our sport it's this is not a strong suit he would tell you that and i looked at that like man look rick <laughs> maybe this is me if i'm josh i would have probably been like yo tag me out i mean i love it that's not to say that you don't want to like be up for the challenge as a race car driver like i would be licking my chops like hey i'm gonna go do this that's one of those things where you need the owners to have maybe like yo I'm not going to put you in this spot yeah. <laughs> because this is an opportunity for the race team to get featured, right? So, like, just like Garrett Smithley did with Rick Ware Racing when we had the the iRacing Pro Invitational, and Timmy did for for MBM, completely different thing. And all of a sudden, what teams are we talking? We're talking about Rick Ware Racing. We're talking about MBM. Okay, I look at this going to Bristol. Like, hey, 
this is a chance for us to maybe really do something crazy. We don't have to have the best engine. We don't know what we have to have. But I know if I've got somebody that's a dirt specialist, somebody that I really feel confident in, they're going to give me a pretty good chance to, to get a little notoriety here for the team and, and, and get me up in the points, which is a big thing in the Cup Series. Yeah. And you just said the Pro Invitational Series. I just got Timmy Hill was excluded from the Pro Invitational Series this year. Why? Brutal. That, that's, that's brutal. They, Josh Balicki said he's getting a petition for him. We'll get it. We'll get it all together. We'll, we'll get Timmy Hill in the pro But one last thing Brutal. I wanted to say, well, here, here, by the way, that means that Timmy Hill is going to be the most high paid driver coach in all of NASCAR yes. in uh, very soon, because every single person <laughs> is going to be enough, nice. Timmy Hill and Garrett Smithley for setup advice and yep. or not setup advice, but driving advice on the set. Yeah. Yeah. And, and one more thing I wanted to say before we ended here, shout out to live fast motorsports, because we know we had Matt Tift on here, second episode ever of the podcast. And he was telling us what their goals were for this season. They're not going to go out and run top, you know, 25 every single race, but they went and got Scott. We know BJ McLeod's a wheel man. And they went and got Scott Hecker for the road course. They got Shane Golobic here for the dirt race. They're, they're, they're doing, doing exactly what I'm talking about to do it. That's it. And, and they're sitting there looking at it like, okay, who am I competing against? I'm competing against Rick Ware Racing. I'm competing against Starcom. I'm competing against kind of this back part of the field. And I want to finish ahead of all those guys in the points. And if I do, I'm going to have a chance at maybe a top 30 finish in the points. So they're looking at these unique races. And BJ is humble enough to look at himself. And, and BJ will tell you right out of his mouth, I suck on road courses. Yeah. And you go, I don't know anything about racing on dirt. I'm a local, I'm a short track asphalt racer. That is what I have run late models my whole life. And on an oval, I will kick your ass. But at this other stuff, I'm going to bring in somebody that I feel like is way better than me because I think they're going to give my team the best chance to beat some of these other people we're competing against. Yeah, and I think that's awesome for BJ McLeod, Matt Tiff, what they're doing over there. So that's great. And and we'll get to see him Sunday. Uh, the Cup Series race will be uh, scheduled for Sunday, 3.30. Hopefully no weather. Same thing with the Truck Series race. That'll be Saturday, 8 o'clock. And the heat races are also on Saturday. And then the practices uh, on Friday as well. And by the time you'll be listening to this, it'll be Wednesday, which means tonight uh, is the Pro Invitational race, Wednesday night, 8 o'clock, FS1. Uh, tune in. That should be a lot of fun. Uh, make sure to get the petition together to get Timmy Hill in the Pro <laughs> Series. Because he was there. robbed. Yeah, he was robbed. He won a race last year. What the heck? Like, I'd brutal. What ridiculous. Oh, well, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> but uh, that's been another episode of the podcast. Enjoy this weekend, uh, the Bristol Dirt Race. Uh, if you're going to the track, enjoy it. Uh, probably going to be a lot of fun. Really cool event. So heat races, more races this weekend. Lots of lots of racing action. Lots of torn up cars and trucks. So get ready for a show uh, this weekend on Fox and FS1. So thanks, thanks as always for tuning into the Drivers Meeting Podcast presented by Bet Online. We'll see you next week. If you made it this far, we'd like to thank you for listening to the Drivers Meeting Podcast. Stay tuned for upcoming episodes on iTunes, Spotify, and all other platforms. Make sure to like, follow, subscribe, do whatever you have to do to keep tuned for more episodes. I'm not your stepping stone. I'm not your stepping stone.
thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.